Uh, we are continuing our series on the Good God series, uh, which is more than just a James Brown expression, Good God. Um, it is a commentary on the character of God. We serve a very good God. The word good in the English dictionary does not do it justice. God is good. And if you missed last week, David uh, dove into the goodness of God in the life of Moses. And it's this beautiful story of Moses getting to this point where he desired the presence of God more than the things that God would give him. He wanted God more than the promised land. And he told God, he said, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. I don't want the promised land if you don't come with us. And God in his goodness says, I will not leave you or forsake you, Moses. I'm going to go with you, I promise. And Moses in his insecurity was like, no, no, God, I'm serious. I don't want to go unless you're with us. And God says, I hear you, Moses. I promise you, I'm going to go with you. And Moses in this sort of strange moment, he, he probably had this question burning for a long time. And he spits it out in kind of an awkward moment. He's like, God, I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your kabod, your substance. I want to see you. And God says, okay, I'll show you my glory. And he says, I will let my goodness pass in front of you. The goodness of God and the glory of God are really synonymous the same, you know. And as we're diving into the series, we're like, you know, maybe we're being a little bit tone deaf because the world is not very hopeful right now, right? Uh, we are up against a lot of things. Um, but we really just feel like this is that season where the Lord's saying, think about whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about these things. Think about the goodness of God. Set your attention on the goodness of God. Because God truly is good, but the times that we are living in are not, right? We're not living in great times. I was talking to a friend this last week, and I said, you know, we have not really had any breathing room. Like, we go from pandemic to World War III, and there's no, no pad in between those two, right? It's like we went from one crisis to the next, and it's hard. It's difficult. It's one of those things that we're always trying to wrap our head around. And we're praying. We're always praying for what's going on in Ukraine and everything else. But, but life right now is full of a lot of difficulty. This week in the Romeo household, it was full of a lot of difficulty. Uh, on Sunday, uh, or on Tuesday, uh, my wife and I were getting ready for staff meeting because my wife is on staff with us and she does children. She's actually right here, Blake Romeo. She's awesome. Um, yes. And, uh, and we were getting ready for staff meeting and uh, Blake was doing something very normal. And on the back of a day of where she was like working out a lot and, it had, and she was coaching softball and all these things and she bent down and bam, her back went out. And she was like, my back really hurts. And me being the, the great husband that I am, I said, uh, yeah, I know, I've hurt my back too. I totally get it. You know, why don't you lay down, you know, rest a little bit. I, I totally get it. And she's like, no, 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 like it, it hurts a lot. Like, it's, it's very painful. And I was like, I know. I, I totally have been there. I've hurt my back. You know, why don't I lay you down here and we'll just kind of work through it. And I was like, why don't I go to staff meeting 
and you lay here, see how you feel, uh, and, uh, and, and we'll kind of pick it up after that. So I go to staff meeting, and uh, I'm leading staff meetings. So I'm kind of in front of everybody, and uh, my, my in-laws were going to stop by the house uh, to just come check on her, and I got a call in the middle of staff meeting on my phone. And like a good husband, I declined that call and kept going on with my meeting. And, um, and then Sharon Welch, who works with Blake, she, she kind of popped in. She was on the phone and she was in the back of the room. She's like, Ryan, you need to come now. And I was like, oh, okay. All right, I think something different is going on. And uh, Blake was going through so much pain. She had passed out and there was just a lot of concern. And all of a sudden I realized, oh my goodness. <laughs> This back pain is not like what I've experienced before. This is different. And uh, we talked to um, uh, her aunt, who is a physical therapist, and we talked to a, a nurse in our congregation, and they said, it sounds like she has a herniated disc, and so this is not like a light thing. This is going to take some time to get over. And um, I did hopefully redeem myself a little bit after that and took care of her all week. And But it was just one of those weeks where the kids were going to softball, you know, kids were going to youth group, they had stuff going on, my son's 13, and now he's all of a sudden going and working out, which is crazy and funny to me, uh, and all of these things are going on, and they all felt like they happened at once, and I was just not in a great frame of mind this week, if I could be honest with you guys. Um, I knew I was just distracted. I knew I had to prepare for the sermon. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to give myself some time right now to work on it. And every time I got interrupted by something and I was going, God, I just am so frustrated right now. And I started getting angry at my kids. I started getting angry at myself. I started just like waking up and having a quiet time, but just feeling nothing and going, I don't know what to read here, you know. And I've been feeling this sort of sensation all week, but if I'm being honest, I've actually been feeling it for a while. This sort of feeling of, of numbness, kind of aloof, just kind of feeling like, what is going on? And the thing is, I know that a lot of you are feeling that way too. I talked to a ton of people last Sunday and they were like, I'm just feeling so disconnected. I'm feeling like I'm numb, like, um, what were some of the words? I'm, uh, I'm not present. I'm angsty. I'm scattered. Like I'm going into rooms going, why did I go into this room? And walking out of the room, you know, like, and I kept hearing the same thing over and over from people. And I started to realize, you know, if that's how you're feeling right now, you're in, you're in good company. Like these are not, these are not easy times that we're in. We are not in easy times. I was listening to this podcast and uh, this guy was talking about neuroscience and what neuroscience has taught us lately. And he said, neuroscience has shown us recently that our brains are hardwired for certainty, predictability, and control. And all the type A people said, amen. Certainty, predictability, and control. Even those of us that seem very free, free-flowing, we don't like the rules, those people still, they have something in them and something in all of us that is wired for searching out certainty, predictability, and control. The other thing that neuroscience teaches us is that our brains give way more attention to dangers than to things that we're comfortable in. So if you're on a walk out in the desert and you see rocks, it's normal. We're, we're in Phoenix. You see a ton of rocks. If you see a rattlesnake, all of your attention is going to go on that rattlesnake, right? 
all of your attention is going to go on to the danger. The problem is, is in our culture right now, especially with news and cell phones and everything else, we are constantly pinging pinging our brains that there is danger. We are constantly pulling up those news stories. And I know you're like me. You click on that news story that says World War III is around the corner. And you're like, I know I shouldn't read this and it's stressing me out, but I just, I gotta click on it. I gotta see what they're saying. This is something we are biologically wired for. But we are not equipped to handle the weight of the world. We are not. The other thing is, uh, in neuroscience, I was reading about um, this thing called uh, dissociation. Dissociation is this thing for people who go through trauma. They go through traumatic experiences. And um, especially in the middle of trauma or post-trauma, their brain basically like separates out and they remove all emotion from that moment. And people who have gone through trauma like war or abuse, they have this moment where they almost have this out-of-body experience and they separate themselves. And it's a bit of a defense mechanism in our body going, you are dealing with very intense emotions and your brain just shuts it off and removes you from it. The problem with... Uh, dissociation is that it also removes you from the good stuff. So you, you start to feel this sort of numbness. You, 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 you separate yourself from what's going on. And maybe you've gone through abuse. Maybe you've gone through this. Maybe a loved one you know has gone through this. Um, but I think in the last couple of years, we have actually gone through a bit of a national trauma, right? Maybe even international trauma, We've gone through this thing where we're locked down and we're, we're confused, we don't know what's going on, and then we're going into these wars and rumors of wars, and we're not, if we're not paying attention to what's going on inside of us, we're starting to, to, to separate. And so when people are telling me they're numb and scattered and angsty, I'm going, this makes sense, right? We are all in good company. The times that we are in are not good, but the God that we serve is still good. And we have to remind ourselves of that. So maybe you're feeling a little bit of that and just know, hey, you're in good company. But I think this morning, the Lord wants to remind us that he does not want us to stay in that place of numbness and separation from people that we love. He wants to restore to us a lot of joy this morning. And I want to talk about not just the goodness of God, but the active goodness of God. It's not just this passive thing that it is a part of his his uh, nature, which it is true. He is a good God, but he is an actively good God. We spent a lot of time talking about what Jesus did for us, which is unbelievable and amazing. He paid the price for every sin that you and I have ever or will ever commit. He died and resurrected so that you and I can have eternal life. This is the gospel. This is beautiful. This is true. This is complete justification in the death and resurrection, resurrection of Jesus. And then we talk about the future with Jesus. One day he's coming back, right? He is going to set everything right. He is not going to let injustice stand. He's not going to let evil stand. He will come back and set everything right. So we know what Jesus did, and we know what Jesus is going to do. But what is Jesus doing right now? 
what is Jesus doing right now? And that is the interesting theological question we are going to answer, or at least attempt to answer a little bit today. Uh, let's dive into our, our passage for the morning. It's in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. The book of Hebrews is, uh, is, is written toward a group of um, people who are culturally Jewish. They came out of Judaism. They gave their life to Jesus. Um, and they are going through severe persecution. They're going through a lot of persecution. And they are very nostalgic about the, the things that they enjoyed in Judaism. And they're starting to second guess, go, man, maybe all of this persecution, maybe we just need to kind of revert back to some of these old things. And the author of Hebrews is saying, look, the traditions that you come out of with the Old Testament, they are beautiful and wonderful. They are written by God. It is so good, the covenant, all of those things. But Jesus is better. He's better. And the author of Hebrews says, you know, the tabernacle is this shadow of heavenly things. He's like, the tabernacle is this beautiful thing. It's designed to connect you with God. It's this wonderful thing that you should study. It teaches you about the character of God. It's great. But Jesus is better. He's better. Angels, they're real, they're powerful, they're crazy, but Jesus is better. He's better. And in Hebrews chapter seven, he's talking about the priesthood. He or she, I don't know, um, the author of Hebrews, uh, is talking about the priesthood and saying this priesthood that was established in the Old Testament was beautiful and it's great and it's wonderful. This, this sort of mediation between God and man, this bringing atonement for your sin, there's something so beautiful about the priesthood and yet Jesus is better. He is the high priest that we need. So let's pick it up in verse 23, Hebrews chapter seven. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He's saying, look, priests are awesome, but at some point they die. And Jesus never dies. His priesthood always goes. It's always going. He never loses steam. He's better. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. I love that phrase, to the uttermost. Jesus will chase us down through anything, and he never runs out of steam. He will go to the uttermost for you. And not just the things that you did before you came to Jesus, but the things you do after you come to Jesus. Jesus never tires of chasing after you. He is the perfect priest. He never stops ministering. There is no limit to his priestly energy or focus. There is no way to plumb the depths of his forgiveness and grace. To the uttermost, Jesus' saving power will continue forever and will follow you anywhere you go. And Jesus is always there, just waiting for you to turn around, going, come on back. Come on back. 
He is that priest to the uttermost. But it's a section afterward that I want us to focus on. So, consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Who is them? It's us, right? It's us. Those who, like he said before, uh, able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, so followers of Jesus, he lives, he always lives to intercede for them. Now, intercession is that, that thing where, where you stand in between two different parties. So, uh, so you, you are maybe advocating for, which I want to be careful because we're talking about Jesus, the advocate, next week. Um, but you're, you're connecting these two parties together. And Jesus is always interceding for us. So he is connecting us to the Father God always. He lives to do that. And it's not because... Father God is upset with us and angry and judging us. No, the plan of Jesus was hatched with him. So Jesus is that extension of salvation that God the Father always had in mind. Jesus is interceding for you and I. He is praying for you right now. What an amazing thought. I have not thought of that before a couple weeks ago. I was going, wow. Holy moly, Jesus is praying for me. He's praying right now and interceding on my behalf and not shallow prayers, not the, oh Lord, bless Ryan. He knows what's going on in my life and he's interceding to the Father. He knows what's going on in your life and he's interceding. He knows what's going to happen in your life and you don't know that. He knows what's coming in your life and he's praying relative to that too. He is a perfect intercessor for you and I. How amazing is that? When I was 18, I, uh, I had just gotten back from YWAM and um, I'd been a Christian for probably two or three years and I was really passionate about the Lord and I came back from, from uh, doing some missions work and I was really just hungry to dive into a prayer group. I really, I was like, I wanna, I wanna get into a place where I'm like seriously praying. And I found this group, I do not remember how I found this group, but it was a group of ladies that... Um, I'll say we're um, more advanced in years than I was. I'll just put it that way. Uh, they were probably like quadruple my age at this point. And they, I met them, I can't even remember where, and they're like, hey, we're gonna go pray, you know, this week. And they were like intercessors that would pray over like Wiccan places and they would go to strip clubs. They just did everything. And uh, they said, do you wanna come with us? And I said, sure, that sounds good. And I said, you know, when and where? And they said, well, we're going to meet downtown at this place. I'm like, great. And they said, on this day. And I said, great. Uh, and I said, what time? And they said, 5.30 in the morning. And I went, 5.30 in the morning at 18 years old? I'm like, I don't think I've ever woken up at 5.30 in the morning, let alone had to be somewhere at 5.30 in the morning. And I remember showing up and uh, I went to a few meetings with these ladies and we'd go to different places and they'd pray over these places. And, and I learned so much about intercession from this group. They were, 
they were not praying again, like, Lord, bless it. I pray that you would shut down the strip club. They would be like interceding, going on behalf of these people. We pray that they become saved. We pray that this place becomes a church. Like they're praying these like Holy Spirit filled, like hearing from God, praying on behalf of people. I had never seen anybody pray like that. And I learned so much from them. And I felt a lot like, wow, my prayer life is very lacking. <laughs> I go, wow, I just, I don't know if I really know how to pray. There's people in this congregation like Faith and Kurt. I love them. They, they teach me how to pray all the time. They are amazing. They, they pray intercessory prayers. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But the good news for us when we feel like our prayer life is not that great is that we have the best intercessor that's ever lived interceding for us right now. When you don't know what to pray, when you're looking at Ukraine, that's okay, Jesus knows what to pray. When you don't know what to pray, when you're facing whatever you're facing, that's okay, Jesus knows what to pray. He is praying and interceding for you and I. He's the ultimate intercessor. And I love that it says that he always prays. He never stops. He never tires. This is Jesus. And the intercession of Jesus teaches us a couple things. Number one, it teaches us that Jesus is compassionate and loving toward us. Because you cannot intercede on behalf of somebody else unless you love that person, unless you really understand where they're coming from. You can't intercede for somebody that you don't love. Jesus loves us. He cares so deeply about us. He knows what you did last night. He knows all the things that you've, all the ways you've fallen short, and he still loves you, and he still intercedes for you. The intercession of Jesus teaches us about his compassion. The other thing it teaches us is that he is more committed to our salvation than we are. How crazy is that? Uh, there is this Christian word that we use a lot called sanctification. Uh, it's different than justification. Justification is the finished work of the cross. It is what Jesus did. You can't add to it. It's not given to us because we earned it. That is justification. Sanctification is the process that we become a little bit more like Jesus every day. And Jesus is more committed to your sanctification than you are. And isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? I am so encouraged by the fact that Jesus is that committed. And Jesus is committed to praying for us, especially in this season, because he knows the consequences are dire right now. He prays because there's urgency in what we're up against. Let's turn to Luke chapter 22. Uh, starting in verse 31. Uh, the background of this verse is Jesus is meeting with his disciples. Uh, his disciples are jockeying for position. They're arguing about who's gonna be the greatest. They still think that Jesus's new kingdom is gonna be political. It's gonna have military might behind it. And they're looking at Jesus going, I know we're in your inner 12, but can I be your number two? You know, like, is that spot open? And they're fighting for Who's going to get that spot to be the most important in the kingdom? And Jesus says, haven't I shown you that leadership in the kingdom is backwards? It's reserved for the servants. It's reserved for those 
who do what I do. And remember what I did for you? I served you. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And there's this moment where he turns to Peter. And Peter, if you remember, Jesus gave him a new name. His new name was Peter. His old name was Simon. And it's interesting because Jesus uses his old name here, maybe referring to a bit of Peter's old nature. Um, But let's pick it up in Luke 22, starting in verse 31. In the midst of all this conversation, Jesus zeroes in on Peter and he says this to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This week, I put my own name in there and I started thinking, oh my goodness, what if Jesus looked at me and said, Ryan, Ryan, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, that he'd test you and see what you've got. It's a very Job moment here going on. And Jesus says, but Peter, I prayed for you. I prayed that your faith would not fail. Now, Jesus knew his faith was going to fail. Actually, he tells him about a, a, a verse or two later, like going, you know, Peter's going, I, I'll never, Jesus, I'll never, never lose faith in you. I'm always going to stay to the death. I'm going to be with you. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah? Well, you're going to deny me three times real quick here. So he prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. So his faith failed a little bit, but it came back, right? Peter's faith came back. And that's why he said, I love when Jesus finishes it this way. He says, but when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen those around you. I think this is a season where Jesus is praying these things for us. He is praying that our faith would not fail. I read a book by a guy named John Bunyan this week, and he was talking, he wrote an entire book on this verse in Hebrews uh, 7. And um, he was talking about what was going on in this verse, uh, Luke, 20, Luke 22. And he said, um, he said, you know, when Jesus is praying for, uh, the, for Peter's faith not to fail, he said, faith is the mother grace from which all other graces flow. This is a very Puritan way of saying, out of faith, that seed of faith, everything else blooms. Faith is that foundation that the enemy is looking constantly to shake you and I out of. He's constantly taking the circumstances of our life and saying, see, God's not good. Or see, God's not even there. There's no God. Our faith is constantly under fire and not just with pop culture. In our day-to-day life, every single day, our faith is under fire. But Jesus is praying that our faith would not fail. He's praying that our faith would not fail. And beyond that, in the difficult circumstances, he's praying that when you come out of that circumstance, that you're going to be a strength to other people that you're going to be a strength for other people. 
that the trials you're going through right now are training you for the ministry that God has for you in the future. This is the faith that we have. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. Actually, a lot of days it doesn't feel good. But it's true. It is true. I love this quote. There's a, an author named Robert Murray McShane, and he said this about the, the praying, interceding Jesus. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. What if you heard Jesus praying for you in the other room? How would it change the way that you look at what you're up against right now? So what does all this mean? It means that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is able to go to the uttermost to pull you out of whatever darkness you keep finding yourself in. You may be feeling alone, but today you need to remind yourself that Jesus is with you. More than that, he is praying for you. He isn't losing patience. He isn't turning away in disappointment. He is not going anywhere. Don't be harder on yourself than Jesus is. Jesus is our interceding priest and is much more patient with us than we are. And he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's worth clapping for, for sure. Come on. This is, and I know we're, we're up against some serious things. I get it. And I stand up here saying, I, I totally get it. It's easy to lose faith right now. It's easy to start going, what do I need to do? Where do I need to invest? What do I need to sell? What do I need to prep for? And in the midst of all that hurry and stress, Jesus is there going, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you to not lose your faith in this season. I'm praying for you not to lose your faith in this season. And I don't know what you're up against. I don't know you know, what you're going through in life and maybe you're facing fear, maybe you're facing divorce, maybe you're facing depression or anxiety. And Jesus is not aloof. He's not telling you, hey, just get over it, just buck up, you know. Jesus is interceding for you. He knows what you're going through. He feels it just with you. But he is a good God with good purposes. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that. We're gonna take communion in a minute. And if you would just bow your heads. The Bible says to examine yourself before you take communion. Um, and just take a minute and examine yourself before the Lord. Maybe this, this is the first time all week that you've given God space to speak. Just give him a little space to speak. Maybe you've come here and you don't know anything about Jesus. Well, now is a really great time to devote your life to him. Let's just pause, take a little minute between you and the Lord.
Father, we thank you this morning that you love us, that you're with us. Lord, you've wired our heart to desire stability and the world is incredibly unstable, but God, you are stable. You have wired us even from the beginning to desire something that only you can give us. So Father, in the midst of all the things going on around the world, when we don't know what to pray, Jesus, we just look to you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, Jesus. And whatever we're bringing personally to this room, personal failures or things that people have done against us, whatever it is, Lord, we thank you that you are and have been praying and interceding on our behalf. Jesus, this morning, we just say yes to you. We surrender to you. Not the painful sort of giving up surrender, but Lord, the joyful relaxing in your presence sort of surrender. We can confess that you are God and we are not this morning. God, give us that humility, but also comfort us in knowing that you know what you're doing. <laughs>